Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Middle Earth Mixer. I'm your host, Evan Cooney, and today I want to talk to you about my favorite portion of the Silmarillion, and that is Fingolfin's duel with Morgoth. It's my favorite part. I've said this on Twitter a million times, so I'm excited to present this portion of the book to you. Um, again, this is going to be like a, a this is going to be a, a shorter episode, kind of like the last episode. I kind of like these targeted formats that I've been doing. So what I'm going to do, the purpose, what I'm, what I want to portray here, I, I just want to really give you the the situation the context for this duel that takes place and what lessons can we draw from it all right so once again without further ado let's jump right into it all right so where are we now in middle earth in the silmarillion we are at a point where the various kingdoms of the different groups of the noldor along with their allies have been perpetuating this siege against Morgoth that has been going on now for 400 years. It's been 450 years since Fingolfin arrived in Middle-earth from Valinor. And now he is the king of the Noldor. Remember, if you listened to my last podcast about the destruction of the trees, Fingolfin was Feanor's little brother. Feanor, he's dead, he's long gone, and now Fingolfin is the leader of the Noldor in Middle-earth. And this, this was after they left Valinor. And like I said before, they had been perpetuating this siege against Morgoth. So what they were doing was they had this system of fortresses and networks that were kind of keeping Morgoth's for, uh, forces in check. You know, whenever any of his forces would come out for a little raiding party or whatever, they would, they would kill him immediately. They kind of had this balanced system of keeping all of the enemies inside of Morgoth's fortress. But what was Morgoth really doing, right? He was in his fortress preparing for the big attack. And Fingolfin knew that he had to do something different. Like, this wasn't a sustainable system. Eventually, they would lose if they keep doing the same thing that they're trying to do. So what he presents to the rest of the Noldor and their allies is this idea to kind of attack. But, unfortunately, you know, the sons of Feanor... His, his nephews, they're not about it. They don't want to help him out, so they kind of just continue with this plan of trying to just prevent anything from coming out of the fortress. And it says at the beginning of this chapter that Morgoth, in his preparation, had he waited a little bit longer to come out of his fortress to unleash this attack on the Noldor who were not expecting him, had he waited a little bit longer, he would have completely wiped them out. He would have wiped out the Noldor. He would have wiped out their allies in the north and the men who were helping them, who it says at this point he hadn't really given a thought to men. He didn't, he didn't see them as much. He didn't even see them as worth calculating in the equation. If he would have waited just a little bit longer, he would have been able to just decimate them all. But it says that in his hatred for the Noldor and the beautiful land that they had created, he jumped the gun and he decided to unleash all of his forces on the Noldor. And it says Thangordrum unleashes flame and gas all over the surrounding lands for miles and miles. Now, you remember, Thangordrum was a subterranean underground fortress. However, it also was a network of volcanoes. So it is just unleashing 
fire and gas in the air. And it says the gas is toxic. And all of the land surrounding Thangorodrum, it was it was this lush green land that the elves had had made beautiful because they were protecting it. They were defending it. It just, it, w- it was called Ard Galen. And it becomes something new. All of the flame from Thangorodrum just completely destroys it and it becomes it gets a new name it's called unfaugleith which is the gasping dust which a lot of people think that in the new rings of power trailer that's one of the flashbacks that we're getting of galadriel in the gasping dust you know during the battle of sudden flame which is what this is about to become i'm starting to not think that i think that she's standing in the destruction of that like weird second age village that she's in But we'll save that for another podcast. Anyway, just know that flame bursts forth and destroys the land that's surrounding Thangorodrum. And it kills a good majority of a lot of the Noldor who are living in and defending that area. Because they just couldn't get away in time from from this sudden flame. Which is what the battle becomes. It becomes the battle of sudden flame. Dagar Bragalak. Pardon my enunciation. So after this sudden flame comes out and and torches the surrounding lands and kills so many of the elves that were there. It says that Glaurung, Glaurung the Golden, father of the dragons, the first dragon. This, This is one of the things that Morgoth was in his fortress cooking up for like 400 years. Glaurung bursts forth and he's followed by a massive army of orcs, the likes of which the elves had never seen or imagined following him. Also with him, Balrogs. So Morgoth's fortress just gets unleashed at full force at this point. And it says that the Noldor take the brunt of the attack. I mean, basically, after this point, it's about a page and a half of everybody taking elves. You know, you have Angrod and Agnor who are two of Galadriel's brothers. Remember, she's got three brothers. There is Finrod, Angrod, and Agnor. And and Angrod and Agnor are slain in this retreat. And then you have Finrod, who is the oldest brother, and he becomes trapped in his escape, right? Then you have the men who were helping him. And one of the men who was helping him was a man by the name of Barahir. And Barahir launches himself into the fray, and him and his men form a wall around Finrod and help him to escape. And Finrod and Barahir escape together. And Finrod offers Barahir and his house eternal friendship. And he signifies this friendship. This is a we're kind of getting separated from the battle here for a second, but I wanted to take a break and, and harp on this. He signifies their friendship by giving him his ring. So Finrod, who becomes the high king of the Noldor eventually, literally gives one of his most important signet rings to this man, Barahir. Now, if you don't recognize the name Barahir yet, if you watch the Loder trilogy or if you read the books... Something familiar to you would be the Ring of Barahir. And that is the ring that Aragorn wears throughout the entire Lord of the Rings. And this is because this is an heirloom of his house. Barahir is Aragorn's ancestor. So yeah, 
pretty cool. Love the way Tolkien ties all of the characters together back to the story. So, you begin to get these descriptions of Fingolfin, who is the High King of the Noldor. All of his extended family just taking these horrific losses just all across the board. The children of Finarfin, you know, the sons of Fanor, the allies of the Noldor, everyone is getting dispersed. And it's at this point that Fingolfin, the king, begins to despair. He thinks at this point, this is the end of my house. This is the end of my people. I gotta do something. He's desperate. And to be honest, he doesn't really think that there's gonna be anything left after this next desperate act that he's gonna do. But he knows he's gotta do something. If everybody else is gonna lose, I'm gonna go down fighting. That's what he's thinking. So he sets off. He decides, I'm going to go to Angban by myself and fight Morgoth. And I don't care if I die trying. Because there's nothing left. And it says that as he rode, he had a rage in him. And in his, his eyes were like, like the Valar. Like the eyes of the Valar in the Undying Lands. And all of the creatures that maybe would have been in his way got out of his way. Because they were afraid of this thing. And the book says, Thus he came alone to Angban's gates. Which is Morgoth's fortress. With Morgoth's fortress, you have kind of like, there's the above ground part, which is the volcanoes. And, and it's it's three volcanoes and the kind of mountaintops that are there. And that's called Thangoradrim. But underneath his subterranean fortress is called Angban. So it says, thus he came alone to Angban's gates, and he sounded his horn, and smote once more upon the brazen doors, and challenged Morgoth to come forth to single combat. And then it says, and Morgoth came. Now it's interesting, it says that Morgoth couldn't deny this challenge at the door from Fingolfin because Fingolfin was, he's at the door, he's blowing on his trumpet, he's screaming, he's challenging Morgoth. And it says that he actually, he calls Morgoth Craven. He's shouting insults at him and calls him the Lord of Slaves. And his voice is so loud that, that it's echoing in the tunnels of Angban and all of Morgoth's forces that are in the fortress and his captains that are in there still can hear these these shouts and these insults being hurled at him. So it says that, you know, Morgoth to maintain his his face, he accepts this challenge, but he doesn't do it willingly. And then it says in the Silmarillion that even though Morgoth is the most powerful being on earth, he, out of all the Valar, he's the only one of them who knows fear. So he's feeling fear as he's emerging from his fortress to challenge this opponent that is so clearly less than he is. I find that interesting. And then it says, Therefore Morgoth came, climbing slowly from his subterranean throne, and the rumor of his feet was like thunder underground, and he issued forth, clad in black armor, and he stood before the king like a tower, iron-crowned, and his vast shield, sable, 
unblazoned, cast a shadow over him like a storm cloud. So, man, I love that description. I love this whole scene. Like, the way Tolkien describes this, it's like, you're sitting on the edge of your seat. You know, Morgoth emerges, right? And he comes out and he's like, it. it's like Fingolfin, who is, he's an elf. Yeah, he's he's a little bit more of a special elf, right? Because he, he has lived in Amman. He has seen the light of the Valar. So he has a little bit more power, you know, than a regular elf would. But he's still just a normal elf facing this tower. It's like he's looking at the Empire State Building, clad in black armor, staring down at him. But I love this next line from the book. And I, and I got to read it because I want you to feel this. It says, But Fingolfin gleamed beneath it as a star. Talking about Morgoth, the, the shadow that's over him. Fingolfin gleamed beneath it as a star, for his mail was overlaid with silver. And his blue shield was set with crystals, and he drew his sword, Ringo, that glittered like ice. And, you know, if you look online, this moment that I just described, there is great artwork all over the internet of, of just this one description. You should take the time to look at some of the great work that people have done online of this. But anyway, moving on. So we have... Morgoth and Fingolfin facing each other at this point. And it says that Morgoth hurled his giant weapon. And guess the name. It's Grand. Morgoth hurls Grand, the hammer of the underworld. Do you recognize Grand? Grand is the name of the battering ram that is used in Return of the King. They say it in the movies too, to hammer down the gates of Minas Tirith. So Sauron literally named his great battering ram after the weapon of choice of his former lord, Morgoth. So it goes on to describe Morgoth is swinging this massive hammer trying to hit Fingolfin. And with each swing, he is smashing huge craters into the ground and Fingolfin is just dipping and dodging out of the way of this big hammer and it says that seven times Fingolfin was able to dodge the blow and slash Morgoth he was able to injure Morgoth with each blow and it says that with each of the seven blows Morgoth would cry out in anguish and it says these cries were so loud and disturbing to Morgoth's servants on the inside of the fortress that they, they would hold their ears and throw themselves down on the floor. They were so scared. They didn't know what was going on outside. They didn't understand why Morgoth was getting hit. You know, he's so seemingly powerful to them. And this opponent that was banging on the door is now inflicting injuries. But moving on, unfortunately, Fingolfin is not one of the Valar. He's, he's not at the level that Morgoth is. So he starts to get tired. And it's at this point that Morgoth starts to land some hits on Fingolfin. And it says that three times Morgoth smashes him to his knees. And with each time Fingolfin fell, he would slowly get back up again and 
pick up his smashed shield that was now falling into pieces with each blow. It says three times Morgoth smashed him down to the ground, down to his knees, and he would get back up. And he goes to dodge another blow, but at this point, Morgoth has made so many craters with his hammer, right, that Fingolfin trips over one of the craters. And Fingolfin is lying on the ground in one of the craters, and it says that at this point, you know, he's tired, he's exhausted, he can't do much more. It says Morgoth set his left foot upon his neck, and the weight of it was like a fallen hill. Yet, with his last and desperate stroke, Fingolfin hewed the foot with Ringo, and the blood gushed forth black and smoking and filled the pits of Gron. And then it says, Thus died Fingolfin, high king of the Noldor, most proud and valiant of the elven kings of old. The orcs made no boast of that duel at the gate, Neither do the elves sing of it, for their sorrow is too deep. So we get a good look at how this fight is remembered in this moment. You know, the orcs feel shame. And they feel shame for reasons I'm about to go into in a second. But, but first I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on a little bit. It says that Morgoth at this point, after crushing Fingolfin underneath his foot, he picks up Fingolfin and just breaks his body. Like, just totally disrespectful. And then goes to feed him to the wolves. And then it says that Thorondor, who was the king of the eagles, you know, he's up in the air and he kind of swoops down into this situation. You know, he sees that, that what's about to happen. And he, he swoops down and he mars the face of Morgoth. And in this moment of confusion, you know, Morgoth drops Fingolfin's body and Thorandir quickly grabs Fingolfin's body and whisks him away. And he ends up taking him to uh, the mountain north of Gondolin where uh, Turgon erects like a pyre for him, like a memorial. But that's later. But it says, Morgoth went ever halt of one foot after that day and the pain of his wounds could not be healed. And in his face was the scar that Thorandor had made. I love this story so much because it carries that same theme of what? Courage against all odds, right? Fingolfin was never going to defeat Morgoth. But you know what he did do? He went there and he injured him forever. He showed the world that he could be defeated. He couldn't really be defeated ultimately in the way that the elves were trying to defeat him, as we know with what happens with the War of Wrath. But Fingolfin was able to show that that one person with great courage can do something that will inspire others to do great things. When you do something that other people didn't even think was possible, like with what Fingolfin did, he caused great injury, great harm to Morgoth. If you do something that other people didn't even think was possible, you inspire them to do what other people think is impossible. And that's one of the great messages of this story, is doing what's right in the face of great evil, doing what's right in the face of great opposition, even if it's at risk to yourself. And that's why I love this story so much. And uh, yeah, we're at about 
around 25 minutes now. So I'm going to end it off here. I'm doing a short one. Uh, I'm sorry, guys. I know it's really short. You know, it's not it's not how I've described short before, but I'm going out of town this weekend and I just wanted to give you a little something, you know, to keep the attention going. Um, I plan on starting my YouTube channel this weekend when I get some spare time. So um, lots of big things coming up. I really appreciate you guys listening and I hope you enjoyed this episode.